coming to you from the FlexFox Fantasy Federation's World Broadcasting Headquarters in Ottawa. This is The Weekly Show. As always, I'm your host, Nick the Man Penner, and I'm joined this week by a very special guest. Please give a warm welcome to Mr. Cam McInnes. Cam, how's it going? Uh, not great. I don't know where Jeremiah is, but I'll be playing his role tonight. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're obviously, it's a weird season for everyone. Uh, it's a, a short season. It's been a, an extra long off season, and we're all just sort of flying by the, the seat of our pants on this one. So it was kind of you to be able to step in and, and be a, a special guest host for this one. No problem. Uh, and, and like I said, I mean, obviously this is a, a very different fantasy season than most. I, I think it's been something that's discussed to death already, but... Uh, Cam, how are you feeling about the the twenty twenty season writ large? Um, I, I think it's just gonna be wild. Like, there's so much risk. I, aside from the like human element of this, where like I don't want any players or coaches to get sick and die or have some like permanent disability. But other than that, from a fantasy baseball perspective, it's gonna be really unpredictable because there's gonna be guys who just are suddenly out for like a month if they test positive. So truly anyone could win this year except for Jamil probably I mean I th- I think unpredictable is the word of the season because 60 games is just such a small sample size to begin with anyone can be good or terrible for that length of time uh without uh, a lot of effort so being able to manage that as a fantasy owner is going to be very tough I think this is a, a season that's going to have a lot of luck to it but also is going to uh, at least have some ability to reward the most active owners, the the guys who are in there every day uh, watching things carefully. So hopefully that's a, a strong motivation to some team owners to be very active this season, I'd hope. It'll be interesting to see, too, how people, I guess, balance trying to win this year with trying to win next year. Because you could, if, if a bunch of your talented players are out with COVID or some other kind of injury you could drop them and try to have as many healthy players as possible to try to win. But I I don't know if people really want to throw away next season just to try to win in this bizarro season. Yeah, it's uh, it's a balancing act for sure. There's a a lot of different motivations that are going to be pulling teams in different directions throughout the year, I think. Yeah, we'll see. Like, the schedule, too, it's... Unfortunately, it's so short... So, like, there's lots of risk that if a couple teams are worse than we think they're going to be, like, someone could get a really easy schedule. We're almost certainly going to see a an undefeated season from someone this year and probably a winless season as well. Uh, I would put solid money on that. Uh, I think, in fact, you could probably see multiple of each. But uh, as we, we face the first of uh, six regular season matchups, I think we should just get into it, Cam. Go ahead. Uh, so we got to talk about, I mean, what has to be the matchup of the week, in my opinion. Uh, we're jumping back into baseball. Baseball's back. Excited for another fantasy season. Uh, and we got to start off with the man who has held the, the belt longer than any other champion, just by virtue of the, the timing. Uh, and that would be Mr. Ryan Neeson, the Mad King. Uh, looking to go back-to-back in this abridged season. Uh, but the the first challenger to that throne is none other than yourself, Cam, along with Jasish as the Squirtle Squad. Uh, how are you feeling about your, your matchup this week? Uh, sorry, first of all, not to fact-check you too much, but technically, didn't Jeffrey Chow hold the belt longer than Ryan? Because he had it for two straight years, although the belt just didn't exist 
at that point. But I felt like he had it in spirit. I mean, I guess you can get into a an argument about the meta, metaphysics of belts and what it means to hold one. But in either case, Ryan is indeed the defending champion right now and has not been challenged in a matchup uh, since winning it all. Yes, uh, that, that, that is true. And congratulations to Ryan for his championship last year. But we're on to a new season and hopefully we'll get a different result. Um, last year, we also opened the season against Ryan in a matchup that was even longer than this one. And we managed to beat him. So I feel pretty good uh, going into this matchup. Our team has a lot of pitchers who aren't good, but are going to be pitching like pretty early on. Um, a couple examples, Adam Wainwright is pitching the second game of the season for the Cardinals. And Mike Montgomery is pitching the second game of the season for the Royals. So I believe both of those guys are going to go on Saturday which means that we should be able to get a couple more starts than Ryan does. So if they work out, um, we might have a shot here. Another fun dynamic, though, will be seeing who scores more points. Mike Montgomery, the very bad Kansas City Royals starter, who is at risk of putting up a negative score, or Jordan Montgomery, who is at no risk of putting up any points because he's in the minors but is still on Ryan's team. Uh, definitely a, a real battle there for dominance between the Montgomerys. Uh, I think one thing that's important to keep in mind for all these teams and, and for everyone this season is obviously the keeper deadline was well before COVID was the the pandemic it is. Uh, we had the draft before then too, so it wasn't really possible to make a lot of long-term managerial decisions with this in mind. Uh, that said, I mean, Ryan obviously went deep last year, uh, and a lot of that was powered by his offense, uh, and he's he's kept that core largely together whole, uh, heading into this season. Do you think that decision to sort of prioritize the bats is going to help him in this, uh, this new setting? I, I think so. Like, generally... I feel like bats are a little more consistent than pitchers because like pitchers are only playing once every five days. So math is hard. Like th there's lots of pitchers that are going to have like 10, 11, 12 starts. And we've seen in the past pitchers have like really bad stretches or really good stretches. Like how many seasons were there where like Jason Vargas had a 10 game stretch where he averaged like 20 points a game. If I don't think he has a job, but if someone like that, has that kind of season, anything could happen. But, like, you got to think that Alex Bregman is at least going to be decent in this 60-game sample. Mm -hmm. So, like, Ryan's high-quality bats, I think, will probably carry him to at least another division title. Mm -hmm. Although, we'll try to stop him. <laughs> Uh, I think that's something else to consider is that with pitching this year, it's also going to be a real wild card. Uh, just, you know, the, the analysis, the speculation is that some teams are going to have starting pitchers pitching uh, far, far fewer innings. Some teams are going to try and have them uh, pitch more innings and then have more bullpen days. So there, there's a lot of strategy and it really isn't the, the same old fantasy baseball predictability we've come to know with pitchers. So uh, being able to adjust for that is going to be key for a lot of teams as well. Yeah, I'm. it's just going to be hard to know what different teams are doing. Like, I kind of have a sense, too, that teams are going to carry, like, a million relievers. So if you have a closer, they're still probably going to use him in, like, the high leverage situations. But, like, some of the relievers everyone owns are, like, not good relievers, right? They're middle relievers or just cleanup guys. So 
if if you're relying on those guys to score you points, they might only be pitching like twice a week. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, no, totally fair. Uh, I mean, we we got to keep moving forward. A lot of matchups to talk about. Uh, I think that's one of the things about a compressed season is that uh, there's a, a lot of weeks now. Every single week has two, three, four matchups that could be the matchup of the week, uh, and a, a lot of different storylines to keep your your eyes on. And week one here has has blessed us with a, a classic rivalry, a rivalry that's as al- almost as old as the the league itself. Really, uh, that's the rivalry, of course, between Flexbox and uh, Mike the Illuminati Kaminsky. Uh, these two guys, obviously, a lot of history there, a lot of beef there, and are now scoring up early in the season with a, an important W on the line. Uh, Cam, who do you got in this one? I'm I'm actually gonna pick Flex. Um, I, I don't. Mike's team has some good pitchers, but I just am kind of underwhelmed by some of the bats in the lineup. Where I feel like Flex is a little more balanced, although it really just depends on like whose pitchers show up and whose don't like because this year's schedule is so short like these matchups are really really crucial and like these are the two best teams in their division so if you win this game you very well could have like a pretty clear path to winning the title and like once a team like i don't even there's probably going to be a team that goes four and two that doesn't make the playoffs so losing a couple games is not an option if you want to contend for a championship. So like this, this is a really crucial matchup, but I think flex will take it by a small margin. Uh, I think this is definitely a matchup that can go either way. You're right about that. Uh, I think one of the things that was a knock on Flex's team last year is that it was uh, a real boomer bust squad where there were some weeks where he was just putting up a huge number of points and then other weeks where he folded like a cheap tent. Uh, I don't think that the makeup of his team has changed enough to, to really shake that label. So it's going to be interesting to see whether that plays to his advantage here uh, and whether he's able to get uh, out of the gates early with a, a couple of uh, you know big wins theoretically. Uh, for Kaminsky, though, he's still got a lot of talent on his side. Uh, any team with Mike Trout, obviously, has to be taken very seriously. So uh, I think I might give a, a slight edge to Kaminsky overall, just in, in terms of the talent he's got on his squad. But like you said, whoever wins this matchup is going to have a, an easy road to winning that division. Yeah, I think I, I could be wrong about this, but I'm pretty sure because Mike won the division last year, he plays Tillo at some point, and I think Flex avoids Tillo. So this is maybe even a more crucial matchup for Mike because if he loses this one, it's easy to see him losing to Tillo too, and then he might be in trouble. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, uh, I guess that's the, the other sort of way to look at this fantasy season is a lot like college football historically. One loss and, and you can be effectively sunk, so... Even though this is week one, it's early. In another season, these guys would, would be enjoying this a lot more, I think. But right now, I mean, this is really crucial right out the gate for, for one of them to get a big victory. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just like a- every week, like really, really matters. To use a Kaminsky term, there can't be any maintenance weeks. Absolutely. I, I'm wrong, by the way. So both Flex and Mike play Tillo. So it probably that that actually doesn't matter, but th- those are their two big matchups, like each other and Tillo. Mm. Uh, well, definitely something to keep uh, an eye on in later weeks. Then, but uh, let's move on to another matchup here. Uh, another matchup that I think a lot of people have been talking about 
on on Slack, especially recently, and that's the matchup between Jeremiah, uh, the bangers of trash cans, uh, and the underdogs uh, of our friend T Ben uh, Ben Michon. Uh, I think this is an, another interesting matchup. There's a, a couple of storylines, but I mean, I think the one that everyone's going to focus on is just how hard Jeremiah's squad has been hit uh, by both the injury bug and the opt-out bug. So he's had a, an interesting go of it in this summer training season so far. But uh, Ham, do you think that's hurt his overall chances of winning the league this year? I mean, it definitely hurts. Uh, this is a pre-existing injury, I think. But having Luis Severino... Like, Luis Severino is a good pitcher, and he's a valuable asset to have, but he's not scoring any points from the IL. So, like, I think Jeremiah has the potential to get exposed for having some weaker pitchers, um, especially if they don't come through for him this season. And, I mean, his bullpen, too. Like, there's some interesting arms in there, but there's also a lot of risk. But at the same time, Jeremiah does still have a pretty solid offense. So it's kind of a similar situation to Ryan, where... If the offense comes through, he's going to be pretty hard to beat. Yeah, uh, and I know, you know, based on, on what's being said in, in trade discussion, it seems like Jeremiah's maybe headed for another rebuild or at least swapping out some pieces. You're right that he has a very solid offense. Uh, Cody Bellinger, obviously, is a, a huge stud for him. Uh, if he's got, you know, if, if Manny Machado is good this season, Whit Merrifield good this season, like, he could have a, a big year offensively. Uh, it's just a question of whether some of his pitchers can deliver, really. Yeah, and I mean, like, Ben as well, I, I don't know if I believe in his team as much as I believe in Jeremiah's, but Ben's team made the playoff. like, for, despite them being called the underdogs, he made the playoffs last year for a reason. And, like, his team is, uh, no, no offense to you, but it is probably, like, the second best team in that division after Jeremiah. So, I mean, like, there is a reasonable chance that Jeremiah loses this matchup, especially with the 25 points he gave away. Uh, yeah, he definitely did spot the, the lead to Ben there early. I mean, the one thing I would say to keep in mind uh, from from Ben's point of view is he obviously had a, a great first season in the league last year. Uh, he came out swinging. He was able to get some wins, make the playoffs. But a lot of his success was driven by one man, Mr. Christian Yelich. Uh, and it's going to be interesting to see whether uh, Yelich is obviously able to uh, replicate that season from last year, but even if he, you know, has a bad game or two early on, uh, I feel like Ben's success is at this point so tied to him that it would be difficult for him to accumulate a lot of wins if if Yelich isn't up to snuff. Yeah, or especially if Yelich uh, was to get sick and be out for like a month, that that could be uh, like really really devastating for Ben's team. I think another interesting narrative is if Ben was using the same voodoo magic that RKR was using uh, a couple years ago, he he may be in for a nasty surprise from the monkey paw because I recently realized that RKR, after making the playoffs, made the vase in two consecutive seasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, that's definitely something to keep an eye on. There's a, a history of guys joining the, the Flex Fox Fantasy Federation you know, taking a, a big step forward in year one and then having something of a sophomore slump. So uh, that's uh, that's something I'd be keeping my eye on uh, a little bit if I were Ben. Yeah, I mean, it's always... It, it seems to happen a lot with new owners where they're able to take the roster they're given and do something with it, but it just seems like it falls apart the next year. But maybe Ben can buck the trend. 
Mm-hmm. Well, and I mean, I think a lot of that too has to do with trading and being able to acquire new talent for your team and, and figure out how the trade market works uh, in the, the Flex Fox Fantasy Federation. So sometimes being a, a new guy in the room, being able to take advantage of that unfamiliarity gives you an advantage in trade talks. Sometimes it doesn't. And so uh, in a condensed season too, uh, I think there, there's the potential for a, at least a, a lot more trade activity. Uh, and we'll have to see how that factor factors into things as well. Yeah, I, I suspect it's going to be a wild deadline. Because, I mean, like, once you've lost a couple games, you know you're not making the playoffs. So, I mean, you probably shouldn't go into full-scale rebuild mode. But teams definitely have an incentive to start, like, selling relievers or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, totally true. Uh, we'll have to keep an eye on that as well in, in future episodes of the weekly show. But let's move on to a, a, another matchup here. Uh, and talk about another guy who I think some would consider uh, a contender to win the league this year. That would be one Richard Tillo of the uh, fourth quarter Jimmy Butler team uh, facing off here against the young Garst of Jeffrey Chow. Uh, Tillo versus Chow, of course, uh, another uh, traditional rivalry, should you say. Uh, Tillo here, though, uh, he has to be the favorite, right, Cam? For sure. Tillo's team is, well, it does have some weird holes on offense, uh, they're just a lot of good players that should be able to still hit a ton of home runs and scoring points. Like Aaron Judge, J.D. Martinez, uh, Josh Bell. Like They're just a lot of offensive firepower there. And I mean, Josh Hader, as much as I think there's going to be more relievers used, like Josh Hader is just so dominant that if the Brewers are rolling, I think he'll pitch a lot in games that turn out to be wins and rack up the points. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that's the the thing about Tillo. I mean, looking at his starters and his relievers, he's got a, a pretty solid group altogether. And, I mean, it's guys who will probably get in a fair number of games, probably get strikeouts and, and rack up points in the games they're in. So uh, from that perspective, I think he's done a good job of uh, assembling a solid core for his team. And I don't know if Chris Sale will be healthy soon, but, but if he is, th- that's another player that, like Tillo can presumably rely on to like really score some big points for him down the stretch. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, he absolutely has the, has some talent there. And uh, if he wants to explore trade options, like you said, he does have some holes on offense that are definitely fillable. Uh, so uh, really it's just a question of what direction he goes and, and if he makes moves in the trade market. Yeah. And I mean like Jeffrey Chow's team is on the rise too, it seems. Um, he has some weird players and some younger, unproven players, but but like Lindor, Mookie Betts, Garrett Cole are all really premium players that should be able to at least keep his team respectable. Moving on to our next matchup, uh, I think this one is interesting, Cam, for uh, uh, reasons that are a little bit different than the ones we've talked about so far. This is the matchup between Chris Kennedy, uh, to be determined, the, the current team name there, uh, and uh, Jamil Hassan, Handsome Jamil Hussan also couldn't be here uh, for this podcast, but uh, is the the leader still of the the Hussan Alliance? Uh, Cam, what do you think about this matchup? Um, I think I actually think Chris's team is kind of underrated. Um, I don't know, like in a in a bizarro world situation, which we are kind of living in right now. I guess I could see it making the playoffs, but I do think Chris's team is better than Jamil's, and Chris does have a history of getting off to hot starts. So if he can put together a four or five game winning streak like that, that's the whole season. So 
Um, I have a good feeling about Chris going into this one. Uh, I think, I mean, obviously, reading your, your power rankings that came out recently, uh, you, you clearly seem to think that Jamil is the, the weakest team in the, the league at this point, which I, I think is a, a fair opinion. But, I mean, if his is the weakest team, that says something about the, the level of competition in the league because I don't think it's a, a team that's going to roll over by any means. Uh, obviously, you know, there's, there's room for improvement. There's a, a couple of guys here that you probably would want to replace if, if you were Jamil, but he still has talent. He's uh, still a, a team that I think has the potential to steal away a matchup from time to time. So I'd, I'm not sure that he's a, a lock to go winless or, or to even, you know, necessarily finish below 500. If he gets a couple of good breaks, then uh, he could be right back in it. I think my issue with Jamil's team, and maybe I've ranked it too low, but I look at Jamil's team and I see like Salvador Perez, who is kind of uninspiring. Daniel Murphy was really good at one point, but now he it seems like he's really getting up there. Um, David Dahl is always injured. Cole Calhoun is another older player. Like you... I guess it wouldn't surprise me if Jamil's team is better than Jeffrey Lim's, but I just see a lot of younger players on Jeffrey Lim's team. So if one of them is going to have a player that breaks out like Aaron Judge did or Jose Altuve did um, like five or six years ago, I I think it's much more likely that'll be Jeffrey Lim, which is why I'm so low on Jamil's team. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's fair. Speaking of, of players with breakout potential, I mean, I think looking at Chris Kennedy's team, uh, a lot of his guys in terms of position players are are probably a little less inspiring too, but he's got a, a couple of pitchers that, I mean, really could go either way this season. And, and like you said, all it takes is one guy to get hot and then it's a completely different ball game. Yeah, I, I notice he does have Brad Keller, who was a veteran of both of our teams. I think we traded him to each other twice last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's an interesting pitcher. He's a good example of the success and failure that you experience when you only throw one pitch, and that pitch is a slider. Mm-hmm. And you can't hit the strike zone. Yeah, uh, you know, there we all have our challenges in this life. Um, but yeah, but it'll be interesting to see how John Gray, Kent Maeda, Kyle Hendricks, like those are all better pitchers than Brad Keller. And it seems like they have a chance to at least be like reasonably solid for Chris and give him like 10, 11 points per game, which is all he would probably need to win this matchup. Exactly. I mean, I, I, I don't think any of those guys, they're obviously not young by any means. Uh, and, and they don't necessarily all have all-star potential, but uh, it just takes, you know, stringing two, three good starts along and suddenly you're a, a hugely important uh, player in, in fantasy terms this season. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so moving on, uh, still some other matchups to talk about. Uh, another one uh, I think that has uh, a lot of interest or or at least a lot of potential to really go either way uh, is the, the matchup between RKR and Jeffrey Lim. Uh, these are, are two guys, obviously, who have, have struggled in the recent past, but trying to put it together this season and, and taking each other uh, on in the, the first week here. Uh, Cam, do you have, have strong feelings about how this matchup is going to go? I feel like RKR's team is just a bit better, so I'm inclined to pick him to win. But as I said before when we were talking about Jamil's matchup, like Jeffrey Lim's team has a lot of young 
unproven players, and it, he only really needs a couple of them to break out. Like in his pitching staff, especially, virtually every every starting pitcher he has, except for Dakota Hudson, I think, is a rookie. So it'll be really interesting to see if like he's able to like capture some breakout magic and identify some like really promising starters for the future. Yeah, I mean, I don't think that either of these teams are likely to win it all this season, but I think they're both in a position where they're sort of starting to to turn the corner on rebuild projects they've undertaken, uh, and they both have some some good young talent. They've both got guys who were uh, underrated or undervalued before, and and now can provide you know value on their team where they they wouldn't have spots on other teams. Uh, and because of that, I mean, I think both of these guys have uh, a lot to look forward to in the future. I would agree that RKR probably has the, the stronger team today. But Jeffrey Lim, like you said, if he has one or two guys that go on, on big tears this season, that could be the, the foundation for his next couple of years. Yeah, I, I think for Lim especially, like he's still in a rebuild. So this year, I guess it's less of a sample for him to see how good his players are. But I don't think his plan will change all that much. Yeah. Well, and I'm, I think, you know, conversely, say for RKR, he's taken uh, a more conventional rebuild approach, a little bit safer, where he's betting on guys who at least have, you know, some proven stake. And uh, he, he's got Joey Votto on his team. You know, you're, n- you're never going to go that wrong with uh, Joey Votto. So uh, from that perspective, I think he's got uh, the potential to be a little bit better, at least for this season. Yeah, um, I, 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 it's just hard to see, like, RKR just has a lot of competition in his division, because it's real tough to get past uh, Flex and Mike, but, but he does have a chance to not add to his all-time lead in Vase wins. He is currently the all-time leader in Vase wins with three. Uh, and... A dubious record, to be sure. Yes. Uh, him and Jeffrey Lim are actually the two players who are tied for the most games played in the vase with four. Huh. Well, there you have it. Uh, it's uh, uh, two storied franchises squaring off here. Potential vase preview, I guess. <laughs> uh, gotta look forward to that. Uh, moving on, though, a couple other matchups we can talk about. Uh, one uh, between... Uh, friend of the show, Ian Stads, I guess, Stadelman, uh, and his Stadelman Stars, which, uh, for the record, I still think is the best team name in the entire league, uh, uh, squaring off here against a measure of force uh, of uh, Newton, uh, as as we will all recall. Uh, another, I guess, friend of the show in terms of loyal listening. Uh, Cam, what are your thoughts on this matchup? I mean, Newton might have the second best team name because it's also a pretty good play on his name as well. Um, yeah, no kidding. I know Ian is very keen to try to make the playoffs, but I feel like he's going to just fall short again this year. But if he does want to make the playoffs, this is a matchup he has to win. Although when I look at these two teams, they seem pretty evenly matched to me. And I might even give Newton a bit of an edge when it comes to pitching, especially with Masahiro Tanaka, I believe won't pitch the first time through the rotation because he's still recovering from the concussion he got from the Stanton comebacker. Um, but if Ian doesn't beat Newton, I think he's in trouble. Yeah, I think from Ian's point of view, it's a question of uh, does he want to be you know, in a similar position to where Tilla was two years ago, where he's 
you know, a year away from being a year away? Or is he trying to make uh, a bigger leap than that quicker? Because he, you know, he's got a lot of talent. He's got Vladdy Jr., obviously, Otani, uh, you know, these these big name guys. And he can wait for them to develop a little bit, uh, get to, to their peak, ideally. Or he can try and make some more moves now to shore up his team because... Uh, I think you you made a good point. You know he's got some holes in his pitching. He's got uh, definitely a lot of room for improvement in his bullpen. But beyond that, I I still think he's got a, a good team with a lot of potential. So he's sort of at a crossroads in terms of this season specifically. Yeah, Va- Vlad's development will also be very interesting to see because if Vlad can become like a premier four hundred point first baseman, that'll really help out Ian. Hmm. Well, and I mean, from Ian's perspective, uh, I think you're obviously hoping that that Vlad uh, gets a gets a ton of points, becomes a a real power hitter. But at the same time, you know, you, there's sort of a need for him to build a, a supporting cast around that. Uh, 400 point guys are great, but you definitely need 300 point guys mixed in there too. So uh, I think looking down the rest of his lineup, he's got some. He's got to hope that at least one of these guys uh, takes a, a big step up in their game this season. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised to see Ian be a little more aggressive on the trade market. I guess just to try to like shore up his supporting cast, as you said. But looking at his minor league squad, I think he's going to have to pay for any reinforcements with picks. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, and I mean, speaking of uh, aggressive in the trade market, uh, Garth Newton has definitely made some some big moves over the years. Uh, he's a big believer in in trying to get value for his team and and finding guys who are undervalued by their current owners. So he's definitely someone else who has the potential to make a lot of moves this season. Yeah, especially if he can get someone to take Puig off his hands. Yeah, Puig's a, an interesting uh, situation in general, interesting asset for him. So uh, would love to see uh, what he does with that one. A uh, couple more uh, matchups that we still have to talk about here. Uh, next up, let's talk about a guy who is new to the league, one of our, our two new owners this season. Uh, that would be Graham Campbell of the Shelbyville, Shelbyvillians, or Villains, not sure, uh, taking on a, a very established member of the league, uh, uh, Garth McInnes of the Stubby Clap Clappers. Uh, Cam, what's your read on this matchup? I mean, I think everybody knows what I'm going to say, that th- this is the year for the Stubby Clap Clappers. Um... But, but it should, my dad should have a better season, getting a full year from Bo Bichette. Um, and his pitching staff does look pretty strong coming into this year. Although he does have Michael Kopech in the minors, who he probably would have called up this year. But unfortunately, Kopech uh, has opted out. So we'll have to wait another year to see what happens with that. But this matchup, I think, will be an interesting... Oh, Graham's in my division. Well, it'll be an interesting start to the year to see where both these teams really fit in in their respective divisions. Mm-hmm. Well, and for you know Graham's uh, point of view, he's obviously in- inherited a team that uh, definitely has had its struggles and has, uh, as a franchise, not exactly had a, a great recent history. Uh, there is some talent there, though. Like he he does have you know Kevin Biggio. Paul DeYoung, uh, Lorenzo Cain, Randall Gritchick. So there, there are a couple of useful players on offense. I think from his point of view, uh, it's a question of, you know, does he sort of turtle this season a little bit? He's already got a bunch of guys banged up. Uh, you know, uh, he doesn't have premier pitching the way that a lot of other teams do. So 
Uh, I think he could he could be a respectable mid table team, or he could uh, you know sell off early and and try and look forward from there. Yeah, it is actually kind of remarkable to think about how bad this team did last year, and then to look at the roster and see how much talent is there. Although I don't know if that's as much of a compliment to Graham as it is a a display of Ellie's incompetence. For sure. I mean, this was really just a, an orphaned franchise. So for Graham to come in and be able to uh, to make something of the pieces that are there, I think is going to be uh, uh, an interesting case study, to, to say the least. Yeah, based on last year, if Graham can just keep it like out of the vase, I, I think that's a huge win. And anything better than that is just gravy. Yeah, I'd agree with that assessment. Uh, and just to say a, a couple more words uh, for Garth McInnes, I mean, he has, uh, at least on this show, become known for his uh, consistently average performances. Uh, he'll, you know, beat some guys some weeks and lose to other uh, other weeks. He's he's very consistent about being within spitting distance of 500. So I'm not sure if this is necessarily the, the year he breaks out of that trend. Uh, I mean, clearly you're a, a believer in his talent, but ultimately I'm just not sure if he's got uh, the goods to match up with the, the really good teams, you know? Yeah, it's hard. I mean, like most of the divisions are hard, but for him, he kind of has a similar problem to Ian in that, like, first of all, he needs to be better than you and better than Cam Christie, which is possible, but maybe not that easy. And then he has to find a way to equal, at least equal Ben in order to try to take the number two spot in the division. Mm-hmm. Well, and I mean, uh, his his reluctance to trade is well known, but uh, it really does seem like he's got a core group of guys that he's moved from, from season to season uh, and that he's sticking by through thick and thin. So you can, you know, wonder if that's going to pay off and they're going to reward him for his patience or whether he might be better off uh, changing tactics a little bit, although I wouldn't expect him to anytime soon. It is kind of fun to see a team that is almost like entirely homegrown in that he drafted Glaber Torres, Matt Chapman, Bo Bichette, Nick Senzel, um, Aristides Aquino, although he dropped him and then picked him up as a free agent, uh, Austin Hayes, Blake Snell, Sean Manea, like he, without doing any research, he definitely has the highest percentage of players that he drafted as minor leaguers still on his active roster. Oh yeah, well, and I mean, I think the other thing you can say as a testament to Garth McInnes is he is very active on the waiver wire. He is is someone who's there all the time, scooping up guys who get hot because he has to be. So if anything, his continued uh, not failure is a, a testament to his activity as a manager, and. Uh, I think that could be uh, a factor that plays to his advantage in this year more than most. Yeah, I mean, it's easy to imagine him also winning this year just because of all the other bizarre shit that's happened. Like, nothing will surprise me anymore. <laughs> Ain't that the truth? Uh, moving on, we've talked about one new owner now, so we, we should probably talk about the other. Cam Christie comes into the, the league as Ottawa the Prof, uh, which is, I guess, a name I, I don't fully understand, but... Uh, in either case, he has a matchup against yours truly, uh, a rough in- initiation into the league, to say the least. Uh, so it's the man against the prof in week one. Uh, Cam, what do you think about Christy uh, as a, a new member of the league? So I can 
provide some background information as a, I guess a teaser until you do a better known owner with him. But he's called Ottawa the Prof because he is a professor of business and economics. Um, I'm not exactly sure where he is a professor of these things, but somewhere in the vicinity of Ottawa. Um, I can also tell you that he lives in a place called Russell, which is kind of on the outskirts of Ottawa. You might be familiar with it, Nick. Uh, mm -hmm. My parents visit there often to... They, they claim they visit there to visit the cemetery where my grandparents are, but I think they actually visit there because there is some weird store in Rockland that sells glass cleaner that they really love. So we can be uh, we can rest assured that Cam Christie's windows will be clean. Uh, there's some good uh, Eastern Ontario insider knowledge vis-a-vis -vis glass cleaner. Uh, very excited for that. So hopefully we'll get Cam Christie on Better Know an Owner soon. Uh, I will say in terms of his uh, fantasy baseball prospects, he's inherited, a, uh, I think it's fair to say, a, a fairly, fairly substantially better team than what Graham has got in terms of talent. Uh, and really it's just a question of if he's able to use that and how smooth his entry into the league is. Uh, I think he's got, you know, a, a lot of talent, a lot of potential. Uh, definitely a couple of guys who can uh, be studs on this team for him, but uh, I'm not sure if he is playoff caliber yet or whether there are some moves he still needs to make. I, I don't want to believe in this team, but at the same time, like last year, Luke just put like a brick on the gas pedal and jumped out of the car and that car ran over everybody in Europa and won him the title. So if, if it can win Europa with no management, logically it can do better with some kind of management. Uh, absolutely. And I mean, if we're going to keep the streak up of first-year managers entering the league and making the playoffs, this seems like a, a solid pick to do that. Uh, I, I think the real question, though, is, I mean, with a couple of these guys, whether they're going to be able to uh, equal, surpass, or not regress substantially from their performances last season. Because uh, I think there are a, a couple of cases where guys maybe uh, outkicked their coverage in the, the past year. Yeah, I mean, somebody's got to lose. Uh, true enough. Uh, I mean, I think we should probably also spare a few words from myself. Uh, I'm feeling pretty good uh, about my team heading into this season. Uh, I think I'm underrated. No one else seems to have that opinion, but that's fine. Uh, I'm I'm happy to uh, sneak up on people a little bit. I think I did a, a good job in the early part of the offseason adding uh, some new talent, covering some weaknesses. Uh, I was personally thrilled with my draft. Man, doesn't that draft seem like forever ago? Uh, but it was a, a very good draft for me in terms of being able to add a, a couple of good pieces that are going to be key to my success this season. And I guess now we just got to roll the dice and see what happens. Yeah, I, I don't know about this going into the season with a full IL. That seems like a, a little dicey of a strategy. But uh, having Carl Edwards Jr. back on your team, I feel definitely gives you some good positive energy. If, if nothing else, having uh, the former C.J. Edwards back again is going to give me some good juju. Uh, and Cam, I will have you know those IL spots are there to be used. If you don't have them full at all times, you're not doing it right. Okay, Kaminsky. Um, Shogo Akiyama hit a home run today, so that's a good sign, I guess. Uh, although Altuve is also injured. 
So that could be a problem. He, I think it's some kind of like contusion. So he shouldn't be out for too long. But you might lose a game or two. Like, like he may not play in the first game or two. So that could be a little bit of an issue for you, I guess, if the matchup's close. Yeah. Well, and I think like any owner of an Astros player, the real question is uh, how many bean balls is he going to have to dodge this season? Uh, you'd hope with Altuve, most of them would sail over his head, but uh, there's definitely some potential for regression for uh, any Houston player this year. There is, but I mean, Altuve, like Houston cheating aside, I believe last year was Altuve's highest strikeout rate in his career. And it was also the first time in like six years he hit under 300 coming in at 298. And like, despite that, he's still just a monstrous player. So, I mean, even like a bad Jose Altuve is still better than like virtually every other player in the league. Yeah, I mean, not to get too deep into this, but based on the numbers, if Altuve was cheating with the rest of the Astros, he certainly seems to have benefited uh, less than most from that. So uh, that's uh, uh, definitely something to keep an eye on and something to bring up when you wear your Astros hat in public and people have uh, a lot of questions for you when you're in line at the bagel store. Yeah, I I don't know what to tell you. I don't know. Maybe just claim it's your slow pitches team logo. Yeah, that's the the spirit. Uh, so moving on, we've got one last matchup to to talk about here, but it's a doozy uh, between uh, Aiden and Ash Sebastian, the Moneyballers. Uh, Aiden, of course, uh, Kiki, do you love me still? Heading into this season, uh, I think both of these teams uh, are are interesting for some from different reasons really uh cam what are your thoughts about this matchup this is just like the ultimate pretenders matchup because like these are the two teams that look good and then don't achieve anything due to like just not making trades or like making weird trades or just like refusing to manage their teams i mean like ash's team i would think has an edge here because it does have more talent but it's just hard to believe. I've been, we've been all burned far too many times by both of these owners. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, definitely looking at the talent Ash has assembled, eclectic is the only word to describe it because he has uh, some very good pieces and and some uh, very substandard pieces existing together. So uh, I don't know if this is a situation where they're going to win uh, as a, a group or as a bunch of individuals, but. Uh, he certainly does have uh, a lot of talent he's uh, assembled, especially in terms of young guys. Another thing that's weird, like this is just a, a general weird thing about Aiden's team, is I'm generally a big believer in if you think you have a shot, you should like cash in your prospects, shore up your team as much as you can, and go for it. But I, I clearly remember Aiden making the trading uh alex bregman for adrian beltre before a playoff run and like i hated that trade when it happened and it's it's only gotten worse now that like beltre is out of the league and like he could really really use alex bregman yeah uh definitely would uh benefit from having bregman back i mean looking at his team i think there are a couple of bright spots uh you you say he's a, a pretender but i think he's got at least a, a decent amount of talent, uh, especially offensively. So uh, I think it could be a situation where, you know, maybe he gets lucky and steals away uh, a winner too early. But 
after that uh, has has a decision to make versus trading more prospects for more old bald men. Yeah, it depends. I mean, I don't. I believe Aiden came second in our division last year, so I think he's going to have a pretty tough schedule. Ash probably has an easier path. Yeah, so Aiden has to get through. He has to play both Jeremiah and Ryan, which is going to be pretty tough to win either of those games. So then, like, even one more loss after that, and he's cooked. Yeah, that's a, that's a difficult one right there. Uh, I think that's going to wrap up our look at week one, though, of the, the fantasy season. Obviously, it's a, a great to have baseball back more than ever, anything. Uh, like you said, we obviously don't want anyone getting sick or, or severely hurt, but hopefully they manage this to be a, an entertaining season and uh, a welcome distraction. Yes, and uh, Jamil and Ian and Jeremiah, please come back to the podcast. Yeah, we definitely need a, a better panel of color commentators to, to offer some hotter takes than anything we said today. Yeah, I'm just the emergency backup goalie here. Yeah, but uh, I guess as a, a closing thought, Cam, I mean, if you had to pick one team who you think is going to win the league this year, who would it be? You know, I, I, gotta, I, I can't in good conscience not make this prediction because I'm becoming more and more convinced it's going to come true. This is Chris Kennedy's year. And we're just living in it. There you go. Chris Kennedy getting ready to go all the way. Uh, started from to be determined, and now he's here. Uh, well, uh, I think that's going to do it for this episode of The Weekly Show. Thanks again for listening to our 2020 debut. And always, as we always like to say uh, at the end of every episode, good night and good fantasy.